joining us today on episode number 70 of the Real Life Runners podcast. I can't believe we've had that many episodes so far, but today we are going to be talking about the signs of overtraining. It's a new year, a new you. Maybe you've got some resolutions. You're going to start running. You're going to increase your running, whatever it is. We want to make sure that you're aware of those signs of overtraining so that you can avoid them. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Yeah, like you said, a lot of people probably hit the new year running, literally. Um, <laughs> Good one, Kevin. I know, I nailed Starting it. Starting out that episode <laughs> with a pun. There you pun-tastic. go. Pun-tastic. <laughs> it's pun-tastic. <laughs> they, they hit the new year all fired up and ready to go. They've, they've got the workout plan. They've got, they've got a resolution. They may have signed up for a race. This is the year they're going to run a marathon. They've dropped money and they're going for it. Yes, which is all good. All good things. All good you things. Know. You love the enthusiasm. I love the enthusiasm. I love it when people get fired up about training and all of that. And it's all really great until it's not. Yeah, until you're so fired up that you're like, all right, I'm going to do six today. And then I'm going to do eight miles tomorrow and then 12 the next day. And right. eventually you're, you're, you're going to get overtrained. You're going to get overtrained. You're going to get hurt. Things are going to go down the tubes. And I just hate seeing that because it just kills people's motivation and enthusiasm. It crushes the enthusiasm. Well, it, it, and then they're like, well, maybe running's not for me. Yes. Uh, I can't run because running gets me hurt. Right. Running didn't get you hurt. Right. Poor planning The got training. You hurt. Right. The, the incorrect training methods got you hurt. So today we're going to go over some of the signs of overtraining, some of the things you might not be aware of because everybody knows, okay, well, I, I got injured. Maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I overtrained. Maybe I increased my mileage too much. I'm getting shin splints now. Like people know about those things. But there are some sneaky signs of overtraining that you might not realize are actually related to overtraining. Right. And so we're going to talk about those today. We're going to talk about how to avoid them and just to help you so that you can catch these things before they creep up and become things that sideline you. Right. Because overtraining, I mean, to, to be trained, you have to automatically train yourself beyond where you want to be. Like you have to push beyond your limit and then your body recovers from it. Mm-hmm. Overtraining happens when you push and then you never recover. You never, That's the issue. Right. Because it just wipes the recovery out. Right. I mean, overtraining can be just overdoing it in your training or it can be a lack of recovery, like you said. And most of the time it is the second. Yes. But a lot of times with people in New Year's resolutions, it's a lot of the first also. <laughs> yeah, I've, I haven't hit the gym in five years. Why don't I go in and see how many plates I can put up in time to squat? Like that's, <laughs> that just seems like a great way to, to um, that doesn't seem great like. great recipe for injury. It doesn't seem as much as overtraining as much as just straight to the hospital with a hernia. Blowing out your knee. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So let's talk about some of the symptoms of overtraining. Some of the little things that you can start paying attention to before it starts to turn into something. All right. Well, I went with one of the big classic ones, which is resting heart rate. Okay. Now, this is a good one if you know how to measure your heart rate, resting heart rate, because a lot of people don't. So let's first go over that. All right, doctor, you want to cover this one? Sure. So the easy way is if you have a heart rate monitor, which a lot of people have nowadays, they have Fitbits and they have Garmin's and they have all of these heart rate trackers. So those are pretty good. They they're pretty good. Pretty good. I I laid down next to our daughter tonight, yeah. and uh, I looked at my watch. It said my heart rate was currently forty two. Wow, that's remarkably low. So I uh, I put my finger to my neck and and started checking my pulse, and I thought, yeah, it's about sixty. Yeah, pretty much right on. Exactly. So they are okay, but not always super accurate especially the wrist-based ones. The wrist-based ones are less accurate than the chest straps, and I don't think many people wear chest straps to bed. Probably not. Probably not. So the way that you can check your own heart rate, the two most common ways are at your wrist and at your neck, like Kevin just said. So the first one would be take two fingers and place them on the inside of your wrist on your thumb side. Just It's basically just below your wrist, um... And you should feel a pulse there. So basically, you count that pulse for 
you can count it. The most accurate is if you counted it for a full minute and then you know how many beats per minute you have. Or you could do some math and you can count it for 10 seconds and multiply by 6. Or you can count it for 15 seconds and multiply by 4. You could do the least accurate but the easiest math and count it for 6 seconds and then just add a zero. Oh, look at you, but that is not so accurate. No, it's not the most accurate, but it's no. really fast. <laughs> but I, I feel like the 10-second one, I, I I have those memorized now. Like, I know that 25 <laughs> is 150. And, like, I, you, if you do it enough, you know what each one equates to. Yeah, and if you're checking your heart rate on a, on a regular basis, on, right. on almost and a daily basis. Before I got my Garmin. Yeah, and you you do this a lot. You get used to it. It's going to be a very similar number. Right. You're almost going to get to the point that you don't even have to worry about what it is when it multiplies out. Mm -hmm. You know what your heart rate is over those 15 seconds. Oh, it's 15 beats in 15 seconds. And Mm -hmm. then the next day, it's still 15 beats in 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter what that multiplies out to. It's that it's at 15. If, If it's staying there, that's a steady resting heart rate. It's 60 beats per minute if you do that. Way to go. Yeah. So the other place, if you can't really find the wrist one, the wrist is easy. You can also find it up in your neck. So to find it in your neck, it's basically just below your ear. There is where your jaw curves down. So there's like an angle of your jaw right there. All right. You're going to do this, right, while I explain it so that... I can yeah. make sure. So you find that angle yeah, I'm going of your right jaw, below my ear. right? I... So start at your ear, slide those two fingers down your jawline. Okay, now come off your jaw, your jaw, your jaw. Come off your jaw. Okay, come off your jaw and kind of stick it up and in. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep. Did I explain that well? <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think so. So basically, you stick your two fingers up and under your jawline. And you should be able to feel a good, strong pulse there. Make sure that you're using your fingers and not your thumb. The yes. pulse in your own thumb is is Sometimes. too strong. And then you, you're just measuring multiple beats because you're measuring the pulse in your thumb and your wrist simultaneously. Yeah, so sometimes that can throw your count off. So those are two places that you can check your resting heart rate and just get an idea. So what are the best times to check our resting heart rate, Kev? All right, so either first thing in the morning when you first wake up, mm-hmm. Like before you get out of bed yeah, well, and you're start still... moving, you're still just lying in bed. <laughs> that, that way it's a resting heart rate. Right. Um, or... And don't do it like when your kids come in and say, Mom, I just peed the bed. And you like have to jump out of bed <laughs> <laughs> with a start. Or the morning that you jump out of bed because you forgot your alarm, you're not going to get a very accurate heart rate. No, you need an actual resting heart rate. <laughs> um, or you can do it, you know... As one of the last things of your bedtime routine, because mm-hmm. your bedtime routine is probably not full of excitement. You know, most people don't like rapidly increase their heart rate while brushing their teeth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you move yourself into bed, you kind of slowly relax. And after you're laying in bed for a few minutes, take your heart rate and see mm-hmm. what it is. Um, I, I learned this technique way back when I was in high school. Um, I always thought that the best move was first thing in the morning because you're coming off of sleeping, so that's going to be your lowest heart rate. But um, I was at a running camp, and, and the I forget which Olympian, I think it was Susie Favor Hamilton, said that she couldn't do it in the morning because she had way too vivid of dreams all night long. Mm-hmm. And so she tried taking her morning heart rate, and it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't at all based off of training. It was based off of whatever the heck she was dreaming about. Yeah. So the nighttime heart rate worked perfectly for her. Okay, so you have to find what's right for you. So when you monitor that heart rate, your resting heart rate, you're going to notice that after hard training days, it's probably going to be a little elevated. And that's okay. That's not overtraining. Right. So the the thing, when you do this consistently, you'll get your baseline, okay? And if you wear your Garmin at night or your Fitbit at night, it'll give you your resting heart rate. So you'll you'll kind of have a good idea of where your baseline is within a couple of beats per minute. Yes. It goes up too when you drink. Or or lack sleep, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, the issue is not when it rises a little bit because you had a hard workout that day. Mm-hmm. The issue is when it rises, even if it's just a few beats, and stays there for several days. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come back down. Because mm-hmm. okay? you have a hard workout, that night's maybe going to be a little bit up. Or you have an extra glass of wine, maybe that night's in, uh, up a little bit. Or but if you can't, you can't point to a specific cause, trouble. maybe it was somebody's birthday. And <laughs> <laughs> But you need to... It's when it stays elevated for several days, that's the sign that you you were possibly overtraining. Right. So it's time to pull back. Time to pull back and maybe just get some more sleep. Yes. Okay. So 
That's the first one. Point point two? Increases in your resting heart rate. Increases in your resting heart rate. Okay. Point two, feeling sluggish on your run. Oh, we've all we've all been there. Yeah, everybody's felt sluggish on your run. But if you feel sluggish on your run on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday yeah. and it's just not getting better, this is the, the issue with all of these signs is it's going to happen Especially if you're getting sleep too. Yes, but when it happens day after day after day, and it, it can manifest feeling sluggish shows up in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just, you don't have that pep in your step. You mm-hmm. know, you go to hit that extra gear, you go to hit strides and there's just, there's no oomph going on there. Or right. there's there's no motivation day after day after day. Or maybe we, your normal run, like your easy paced run just feels super hard yes yeah like like it should be a nice recovery run you should be out relaxing and it just feels awful or your heart rate during your run your easy run is through the roof through the roof right or you're you're very careful and you you're just going off and you're very good you've tuned into your body you know what your easy pace feels like and it feels easy and then you finish and you're like wow that took a lot longer than it should have because your easy pace is suddenly way slower than it has been for the last several weeks right and this is really subjective but it's actually one of the best ways because it forces you to tune into your body and actually listen to how your body is feeling. Yeah, I mean... Like, I, we can't put hard and fast numbers on this. But, no. But it's just that feeling like, why is why does this feel so hard today or this week, really? You know, why, why have these last days just felt so difficult? Right, because this day may feel hard. And usually there's, there's an, a reason that you can point to and be like, okay, that day felt bad because of this. Right, I had a hard speed workout. Right. The day after a hard speed workout or recovery day, your legs are not going to feel super fresh. Mm-hmm. But if they're still struggling the day after and the day after, now you're reaching a problem. Yeah, exactly. Okay, number three. <laughs> number three, short temper. A short temper, like with life. With life. Yeah, we're not talking specifically to running. <laughs> we're talking about a short temper. With a short everything. Fuse a short fuse with everything around you. In your you. life. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, well, but sometimes you know, look, things are going to bother you and, and you may snap on something. But when it seems that everything in your life is the most annoying thing around you, <laughs> that's, that's a totally yeah. legit sign of overtraining. Right. Right. Because training is not just physical, it's mental. And you've got to put that mental effort in day after day. And if you're putting it into running, you might not have the ability to just sort of smooth through some rough patches through the day. Yeah. That 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 situation that normally be like, ah, that's kind of annoying, is now just not annoying. It is, <laughs> I want to scream frustrating. Yeah. It's the worst thing ever. Yes, it's the worst thing ever. Right. <laughs> it's like crusty milk. <laughs> <laughs> like that crusty milk. So... You know, you know how that feeling is. It's just like everything gets on your nerves. And like you said, there's only so much patience that we have in any given day. And when your body is tired and it is just lacking in, you know, health, I guess, just when, it, when you're just feeling out of it, yes. it's just impossible sometimes to just stay patient and calm and centered (laughs) yes which it's very much connected to the next one like the the short fuse flows right into the next one because it's it's a mental thing yeah so number four is a foggy mind foggy like brain fog you know that feeling where you just like can't think straight (laughs) yes right i mean that's it's really it like you're trying to focus on something and you just can't seem to focus or you've got a million things going on in your head and you can't just sort them out you can't seem to multitask which that's well that's a different story we'll talk about that another time (laughs) but you can't seem to just do your normal things or make decisions you know when decisions become hard yes this like what's for dinner yes what's for dinner has become a challenge ah, don't bother me with that (laughs) foggy mind plus a short temper (laughs) you you got multiple kids and you can't remember any of their names like this is this is an issue when you have to cycle through the dog's name to get to your kids (laughs) yes Yes. especially if the dog's name is rover that's not your kid's name it's like your mom when she did it that one time and she just started yelling girl boy yes my sister and i will forever simply be girl and boy because <laughs> our names were too close and she was mad and could not differentiate them when she was <laughs> mad at us so we we're girl and boy yeah exactly all right number five is the one that everybody kind of knows already those overuse injuries that like to flare up like the shin splints or the runner's knee or the plantar fasciitis those things that start to start as little niggles and just 
grow over time. Yeah, and this is not necessarily a sign of overtraining. It could be. Like, it very much could be. It could also be the sign of starting something new. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the overtraining, the overuse injuries mm-hmm. are also very big in very new runners. Right. Shin splints is super popular in new runners. Well, because their other muscles aren't used to this, and they don't have the stability in their other muscles to support them in their running. Right. Like, it, I mean, when you're going from point zero, it's pretty easy to be overtrained. Correct. But this shows up as an overtraining injury because even if you have strong muscles, if they're just being fatigued day after day after day, they are not able to support you the way that they should on your training runs. Yes. I I, I want to counter a little bit. If, if you're not showing any of the other signs and your shins are acting up or your hips, you mm-hmm. need something, consider a new pair of shoes mm-hmm. before you're like, all right, well, I guess I have to cut my mileage back. Right. I mean, there's there, definitely... There may be another cause. Right. It's not that when you start to feel a little bit of an injury, that doesn't mean you're overtraining. I think this is really what your point is. Yes. It is one of the possible signs, but like you said, there could be other easier fixes yes. to the problem like a new pair of shoes yeah or you know some hip exercises could or, actually be the issue yes hip exercises <laughs> okay and the last one which a lot of people don't attribute to overtraining but i always think about this is getting sick yes right i mean that cold or the flu or these things and, and it is bad out there right now there is a lot of people getting sick out there and Getting sick can be a sign of overtraining. Like, yes, there is a lot of viruses and bacterias and all of this stuff. And people are traveling through the holidays and they're going up into the cold weather and they're not used to that. But basically, it's your immune system that is responsible for keeping you healthy and for fighting off these bugs that we come into contact with every single day. And when we are training, we are breaking the body down. When you break the body down, your immune system needs to come and help the body rebuild itself. So if your immune system is constantly working in overdrive to help repair the body from overtraining, it's not going to have enough strength to fight off all these little viruses and bacteria that you're coming in contact with, and you're going to get sicker easier. You get sicker easier, and that sickness is not going away. Right. That's that's the other side of yes. it is it's not just that you seem to go from one sickness, you recover, and then three days later you're sick again. It's that it just stays for so long and doesn't ever seem to go away. Right. That's a possible sign of overtraining as well. Right. And overtraining doesn't just mean that you're running too much. It means that you're not taking into consideration all of the other things that you need to do, specifically the recovery stuff and eating right and getting enough sleep and doing all the other things that is allowing your body to train at that level. Right. I think that's the big thing. It's like this doesn't just mean you're running too many miles or you're doing too hard of workouts. Am I am I jumping? Yeah, you're way on to step three here. Way on to step three. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll pull back. Yeah, then. pull back a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so those are the top like six signs that yeah, we I mean, those we are some major out. signs that you're gonna yeah. you're gonna be able to spot and some of them you may have already been familiar with but a few of them like that sickness that seems to always show up mm-hmm. or the short fuse like why am i annoyed with everybody around me it's possible that that's that's due to overtraining right and so it's time to look at what's going on in your life to try to fix it perfect okay. so how to avoid it yes so number one actually listen to your body listen to your body I know it's it seems so easy and so straightforward but actually listening to your body um and making sure that that you pay attention when it mm-hmm. says hey I'm feeling a little bit tired maybe you need an extra rest day maybe you need to shorten the mileage on that day mm-hmm. it's okay to pull back right. if that's what your body is telling you yeah. it's okay to go slow that day if that's what your body is telling you yeah and as runners we don't like doing this a lot of times I hate it yeah 
Because if, especially if you're following a training plan or you oh, have yeah. a coach, you're like, well, this is what's on my plan. This is what I have to do. I can't just miss this speed workout to mm-hmm. have an easy day or take a rest day. God forbid. No, no, no. I'm four four weeks out from my marathon. I have to hit that perfect pre-marathon workout because it's mm-hmm. one month out. No, it's you don't. You don't have to hit it right then. Yeah. It's Maybe on that day you need a rest day. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to, to just have a complete off day or just no speed on that day. You got to pull yourself back if that's what the body's telling you to do. Right. Because by doing that, one or two times you are going to avoid the sickness or the injury or all these other things that can creep up like giving your body even just one rest day or even one really good sleep and not waking up at 5 a.m for that one run and letting yourself sleep in could prevent a host of problems from occurring yeah so what would you rather do get in that extra workout a month before your work your your marathon or be sick for the week of the marathon or like the two three weeks coming up to the marathon yeah that sounds awful right so number two okay after you know actually listening to your body number two get enough rest and recovery now this is we're talking about sleep at night your sleep at night is so ridiculously critical and so important. You, We really should be shooting for um, seven to eight hours every night. That's what your body needs, especially when you're training. And some people need more than that. Some people can get by on a little less, but really, I mean, less than seven is, is probably not ideal for most people, especially that, it, that are training. If you're legitimately training for a longer mileage race, you yeah. need seven to eight hours. It's- like you are an athlete professional elite runners sleep like 10 to 12 hours a day on average they sleep like 10 hours at night and then they take like a two to three hour nap during the day yeah and they get paid for it doesn't that sound awesome oh my god to get paid to nap i need to take a nap now because that's what my job is that's what my training (laughs) plan says that sounds awesome yes I would love that. But it's not it's not just sleep. It's also making sure that you have appropriate recovery days, mm-hmm. that your recovery run is at an easy enough pace right. that it is a recovery run. Right. So you're avoiding multiple hard days in a row. This is why it's important who you're training with. Like maybe maybe you're a solo runner and that's great, but you just go out there every day and you run the same pace regardless of the day. So your body's never getting those recovery runs. We've talked before on the podcast about the importance of doing hard days hard and easy days easy and and allowing yourself those slower recovery paced runs that are super duper important for your body. But this is tough if you are a part of a running group or have running friends. Because if your running friends are a little bit faster than you, this can be really hard to pull back and say, no, I, I can't go that fast today. Yeah. You know, or even if even if they are the same pace as you, but maybe your body is just not feeling it that day. That goes back to point A, listen to your body. Right. Don't listen to their body. Yeah. Maybe they're feeling okay. Maybe that speed work didn't hit them quite as hard as you. Maybe they got more sleep last night and they don't have a two-year-old that's waking up in the middle of the night exactly. like you do. Exactly, like, yes. Their life is not the same as yours. And you have different circumstances in your real life that is affecting the way that your body performs and feels every day. So listen to it. Get that recovery time. Sometimes it's okay to miss a group run. I know I hate saying that because I am one of those people that I love my group runs. I get out there. I'm I'm consistent. I'm, I don't like not showing up. But sometimes if that's what your body's telling you, then you really have to do it. Yes. And beyond the, you know, you want to make sure that you're hitting your group runs. Some people have that need to get their cardio workout in daily basis. Yeah. Which is unnecessary. Right. But this is where cross-training comes in. Yes. Cross-training is a very good way to help avoid some of this and get some recovery time. But to do easy cross-training, though, too. Yes. Easy cross-training. Recovery cross-training. But I'm thinking, you know, the difference between the impact of running Mm -hmm. versus a swim or a bike or an elliptical or something like that, it simply takes a lot of the pounding off of the body as well. Correct. But if you're still elevating the heart rate way up high to that, you know, cardio level, it's, you're still taxing the body. It it just depends on how intense you're going on those 
off days or those cross training days. Oh, very much. And, yeah. and you know, I want to bring this back up again. We covered the, the third part of how sometimes overtraining can sneak in when you don't even expect it. Yeah. We're totally going to cover that again. Yeah. But there are people that are like, well, I can't just pull back and have a complete off day. Sometimes uh, an easier cross train is going to be the way to go because it, it it'll help at least avoid the, uh, the overuse injuries because yeah. it reduces the pounding. Yeah. I used to totally be that way. I did not like rest days. No. Not at all. Like I had to train like seven days a week and do something, but I've become much more amicable with my... Amicable. Nicely done. <laughs> with my rest days. <laughs> We're friends now. We are good. Um, the other way on how to avoid it um, is realizing that your intensity of your workout comes in a, a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can increase intensity by both increasing your mileage or the time that you're spending out there, and by increasing your speed. Right. If you increase both simultaneously, you are living in a more dangerous position as far as overtraining is concerned. Right. It's usually safer to increase mileage or speed rather than throw both of them simultaneously. Right. So everybody likes to throw out that 10% number, right? Don't <laughs> don't increase your weekly mileage by 10% more than 10% because then you're going to get injured. And while there is some d- debate on that 10% rule, it's a it's a pretty good rule to go by. It's, it's an, not it's a exact, nice safe number. It's a safe number. It's not exact. Some people can increase their mileage more than that you know, and be fine. And some people can't, but it's a safe way to go. Yes. It, it very much depends on from one person to the next, how long you've been running. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to live in, in the area of running 40 to 50 miles a week. Like yeah. I've, I'm comfortable with that. We got a race coming up. I am not. No, it, it no. makes makes me happy though. Yeah, um, but I, we, I live more in the like twenty five to thirty range. There you go. Mm-hmm. But following half marathon in a couple of weeks, that next week is going to be a significant pullback for me. That doesn't mean that in order to build back up, I have to go ten percent per week. I'm no. comfortable with that higher mileage. Right. So you can jump back up to where you're comfortable with at a much greater increase. Yeah, I think that's different because your body is so used to it. If you've been training for years, then you can take some down weeks and then kind of jump back into it pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to some interviews with some professional athletes. They're like, oh yeah, well, following the marathon, I took two weeks of absolutely no running. Yeah. I did some walking and or some hiking, but I did not run for two weeks. And then over the next three weeks, I built back up to 110 miles a week. Yeah. Like, whoa, oh, okay. Just a gradual build back up. Yeah. So keep in mind that 10% rule is really talking about the quantity of miles or time that you're out there. But you also have to think about the intensity of the workouts and integrating speed workouts into your routine. We've talked before about the 80-20 rule that 80% of your runs and your workouts need to be at an easy recovery type of pace and then 20% of them need to be at that harder, more intense speed work kind of thing. So if you are messing with that ratio and you're doing like 50-50, 60-40, then that can set you up for some overtraining as well. Or if you're not used to any sort of intensity, if you're basically doing 100% at recovery pace Mm -hmm. and suddenly you start throwing in higher intensity runs, you should not be touching your overall mileage at all. Right. If anything, you would want to pull back on your overall mileage while you start gradually adding in some some mm-hmm. increased intensity. Right. And a lot of people get in trouble with this because they decide they're going to jump on some sort of training plan and they're going to both increase their mileage and start adding in that speed work simultaneously. And it just sets people up for yeah, problems. That is a very easy recipe for overtraining. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the problem is people want results now or yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I wanted results three weeks ago. Right. You, you know, so that that's one of the issues when it comes to this and like we've talked about before, running is that slow journey. It's a slow process and it takes time to build this. And some people don't like that. Some people don't like waiting and taking time, but just be aware you're setting yourself up. 
Yeah, I mean, the the shorter time frame you have to accomplish any running goal, the more likely you are to get injured. And if you accept that injury is, is a possibility, go for it. But if you're planning on actually having some long-term relationship with running, then then have a long relationship with it. Gradually build yourself, ease into it. Don't go crazy straight off the bat. Get yourself hurt and start hating running. Yeah. It's a bad cycle. Go into it for the long term. Long term. All right, so let's get into our third topic, which is that sneaky overtraining, the things that kind of creep up on you that you're not expecting. Yeah, I mean, we've covered like the the big one of, you know, that magic 10% rule as though that's a magic rule. But there are ways where you're like, oh, I did not increase my mileage. I didn't do this. Everything seems fine. How come I still feel like I'm overtraining? How Mm -hmm. come I'm showing those symptoms from before? Yeah, so we've got four main points that we want to go over here are the first being lack of sleep. Yeah, let's go back to lack of sleep. Yes. It shows up over and over again. If It's because most Americans don't get enough sleep. I mean, most people. Well, yeah, and I'm also just thinking back over like the last two weeks of my own life. Mm-hmm. You know, you follow the days leading up to Christmas, that wasn't enough sleep. Right. Then you hit that, hit New Year's after that. Yeah. You get a birthday and mm-hmm. suddenly that's several days in a row where it's like, even though my average sleep over this time has been fine, there were several days in there where I was not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I had to get my grades in for finals. Yeah. That was a late night also. Right. But you've become much smarter about all of this and you have pulled back your training. You you don't get up. If you are up until one o'clock in the morning, 1230, you're not getting up at five like you used to. You're sleeping in, you're listening to your body, and then you're going to get your run in later if you can. Yes. You know, because I mean, I really... St- still think that that was a major part of what led to the seizures that you had is just chronic sleep deprivation. Yeah. Chronic sleep deprivation in combination with like real, like solid high mileage training and high intensity. Like there was, there was a lot going on yeah. and then you, you do all that with a lack of sleep. It's, it's a bad combo. It's a bad combo. So, um, lack of sleep, even if your training is staying at a very steady state, suddenly you you take sleep out of the equation and that just ups the intensity of everything right so your training load is now much bigger than it was had you gotten actual sleep that you needed right so your mileage may not have changed but suddenly all of your runs are operating on what feels like to your now sleep deprived body a much higher intensity yeah so you increased intensity in every single workout right that's that's overtraining Mm mm-hmm And and you didn't do it. You didn't try to up the speed. You just are tired and your body feels as though every workout is harder than it should be. Right. So super tip number one is get more sleep. Yes. I like to go with if I don't get seven hours of sleep, I can't run seven miles. And seven miles is for me a fairly comfortable run. Mm -hmm. Today, I did not go seven miles. I was planning on it. That's what was on the schedule. But I got six hours of sleep. So I went for six miles of running. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I like that. I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah. I I pulled back. I was aiming for seven to eight miles today. And after going to bed super late last night, it just, there was... There was no good reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to get a benefit out of the extra one to two miles there That that's worth the risk. Right. It's, it's a risk-reward thing. It's and a risk-reward. It's reward. just, it's not worth it. Exactly. All right, so the second sneaky overtraining culprit that can kind of sneak in is? Increased stress in your life. Oh, yes. It, it has the same play out as sleep deprivation. Right. All of your workouts suddenly feel much more intense because, right. like we said before, running is both physical and mental. Right. Increase the stress and suddenly you don't have the mental capacity for your running anymore. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that stress in your life is, it just affects so many different things that people don't even realize. And it creates an actual physical reaction in the body. I see it in my patients all the time. They come in with back pain or shoulder pain or whatnot, and I'll start to try to dig. And sometimes they'll have an injury, and we can point to that. But a lot of times they come in, and it's a very insidious onset where they don't really know what – they don't know why. Well, I don't know. I just woke up, and my back was hurting or blah, blah, blah. And I so then I start to dig a little deeper, and I find out that – there something's going on with their kid at school or Mm -hmm. they're going through a divorce or something is stressful at work and it manifests itself physically in these people. I I literally had a woman a couple weeks ago that came in and she told me she was a 10 out of 10 
back pain. She couldn't even sit. She couldn't get comfortable. This woman had so much pain. She. You love when patients tell you it's 10 out of 10. (laughs) It's your favorite. Don't get me started on 10 out of 10. But (laughs) anyway, I put this woman on the table and I massaged her back for maybe 10 minutes. And she told me that I made her 90% better. (laughs) Because during that time... I started talking to her. During that time, she also poured a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) But I started talking to her, and she started telling me how she was betrayed by a friend. Uh And that happened around the same time that this back pain, this mysterious back pain Shocking back pain. Right. So once she just kind of let that out, it wasn't my massage. My massage isn't that good. It was that good. (laughs) I mean, I've got some pretty good hands. It was at least half of it. (laughs) That was at least 50%. But the other 40% (laughs) is just letting go of some of that stress that she had built up in her body for the last like three weeks. Yeah, the in, the increased stress manifests itself, like you said. I mean, it's it's a direct manifestation in your body, but it it can also it, it takes the mental capacity. It makes the running so much harder. It could throw off your running form because mm-hmm. you're just tight throughout the your body. That's true. Like there's a lot yeah, of ways stress can tighten you. Stress can tighten yeah. you. Stress can make your sleep even if you're getting the hours of sleep. It's not good sleep. Mm-hmm. So you're sleep dep- you're laying in bed Ooh. for seven hours, but how much sleep did you actually get? Right. You know so. Mm-hmm. It, it shows up and it kind of slips into these other ways. So increased stress, even if you're, again, this is one of those things where it's like, I didn't make any changes in my training. How come I feel so tired? Right. How come I feel like I'm overtraining? My mileage is the same as it's mm-hmm. been for the last three weeks. Yeah. Look at your life. Like yeah. what is going on in your life that's leading you to feel that way? Perfect. Yeah. All right. Number three, sneaky. Uh, lack of food. Mm, uh, lack of food. You need, not fueling yourself. Not fueling yourself. Yeah. And this goes into a few a few different uh, few different ways. One, you need to make sure you're refueling after workouts. Oh, please, please, please eat after your workouts. These these things like there's so much stuff out there now with the keto diet and intermittent fasting and all these things that are telling people they should. Oh, or just fasting in general. There's a lot of people out there talking about fasting and all those things can have health benefits. But if you are an athlete that is training at a high level, your body needs fuel. Your body needs food. It needs good, unprocessed, whole food to nourish it that has lots of micronutrients. People are so concerned about their darn macros nowadays because they want to drop fat and burn, become fat burning machines and this and all that. But they forget about the micronutrients like the vitamins and minerals that we need in our food, like in the greens and in the vegetables and in all the stuff that comes from the earth. So all of your food should not just come in powdered form and get mixed up into a shake? It should not. should not. It should not. Okay, just checking, just verifying. But, I mean, a shake is really good after a workout. A lot of the shakes, depending on what kind of shake you're using, as long as it has whole types of ingredients obviously they are all it's all processed if it's it, all processed if it's, if it's a protein shake it's processed food but a lot of them have sneaky additives in there some some sugar lots of different kinds of sugar lots of random sugars a lot of them have um splenda in them now splenda yeah. and aspartame which is just not good for you so please if you're using a protein powder that's fine but check the ingredients make sure it's doesn't have any of those sneaky nasty ingredients in there but Essentially, be aware that of the all of the micronutrients that your body needs to recover. It's so important. And that it needs these nutrients pretty quickly after a workout. Yes. If you hit it really hard in a workout, you need food and you need it pretty quickly. There's right. I mean the, the convention suggests that there's a there's a, a window to work with. It what depends. Yeah, I mean the convention says within an hour depending on the intensity of the workout. I there the research on that has kind of been hit or miss. So I do think it is important to get some fuel in your body within the first hour or so, give or take. Um but there isn't a specific amount of time because the the research just isn't very conclusive on that. 
but it is it is clear yes. that over the course of that day you do need food you need food and you need like <laughs> you said i think a good rule of thumb is to get food into your body within an hour after a hard workout especially after a hard workout if it's just a recovery run or if it's after yoga or something like that that's more of an easier thing on your body it's not as critical you can just basically resume eating on your normal schedule if you you know, how to work out. But if you had a really intense, hard speed workout, you should get some food in your system. And that food needs to consist of protein and carbohydrates. I know we just, I just kind of bash macros, but those are important. Your, your body, protein is your way, your body's way that it rebuilds itself. And carbohydrates help to rebuild the glycogen stores in your muscles and your liver. And that helps your muscles to get stronger because that's the whole point of these strength workouts and these speed workouts. It's to get your muscles stronger. So if you're doing these things to break your muscles down and then you're not giving them the tools to rebuild themselves with the protein and the carbohydrates that you need after your workout, then why did you just do that workout? You're not you're not giving your body that those building blocks that it needs to actually make the gains and the adaptations from those speed workouts. Yes, hundred percent. There's this. Um, I mean, it's not a new thing. It's it, all training things. They kind of come in waves. That, but it's it's back, and it's the whole idea of training empty uh-huh. or training low, right. training with a, a lack of fuel, or after you train, fasted. yeah, working fast, out fasted. working out fasted. Or then after you, you work out, staying fasted for a while and yeah. letting your body try and figure out how to fuel itself and recover. It's like well, you have the energy inside of you. You don't need to immediately eat. And there is some some benefit to this. Mm-hmm. You should not do this on a daily basis. Right. There- you should not even do this after every hard workout. Right. Every once in a while. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but, but then that's... That's another stress that your body that you're putting onto your body. Yes, and like you, you have, have to, to look at it that way. And you have to realize that that workout, beyond just being like a long run or a hard run, mm. was a long run with post run fasting. Right. You're going to need a few days to recover from that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people go through a very often cycle of hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day. If you hit a hard day where you're also fasting afterwards, or you're unfueled and you go on like a you know a two hour unfueled run, you're you're not going to recover in a day. Right. That is very unlikely. Right. There are some benefits of that. There there can be benefits to doing fasted workouts or to a lot you know, not fueling during your workout, like on a long run. Yes. Having the, trying to get your body to tap into its natural fat stores and learn how to burn some fat more efficiently. There are definite benefits to that. But like you said, just, you need to keep that in mind when you're looking at your recovery and your training load, because a run like that is much harder on the body than a run if that you're fueling throughout. Yes. So just cause, just cause your, your friend is doing that, does not mean that, oh, you should do that workout with them and then have a different running group and hit another workout with them two days later. It's yeah. it's a bad combo. Right. All right. Point uh, four. Four. Point four. Number, sneaky number four. Sneaky number four. How do you fit all these workouts into your crazy busy life? Yes. Well, and that's what we're about, right? That's the whole point of this thing. That's the whole point you, of this podcast. Yes. How do you fit it all in? Because especially if you have a plan to follow, it's like, okay, well, I've got to hit this workout on a Tuesday and then this workout on a Thursday. And if I'm not feeling good, well, maybe or something happens with the kids, something happens. Then the Tuesday workout got pushed to a Wednesday. You shouldn't do speed on Wednesday and Thursday. Right. You know, it's, it's a bad choice. Yeah. We are, we tell our clients all the time, like, do not put back to back speed workouts and try not to put a speed workout back to back with your long runs because those are all hard days and if you're going back to back hard days you're not letting your body recover and you're just really risking injury and overtraining this goes right back in what we were saying before it it falls into the same category as fasted running um, you know, there are plenty of people, um, especially elites that go on Sunday long run and follow it with a Monday tempo workout mm-hmm. and they're not fully recovered from their long run. 
their workout on Monday is not super high intensity, but it's mm-hmm. it's a legit paced workout. Right. But that's the point of the workout that's is the point for them of the to workout. do the tempo on tired legs, but then how many days after that are they recovering? Right. That's the thing is you got to make sure at some point you recover off of that. That's two rough days in a row. Mm-hmm. So you know, well, they can pull it off and then probably hit a, a speed workout on, on the Wednesday. Because they get naps. Yes, because <laughs> they got the 10 hours of sleep <laughs> and the 2-hour nap. They nap. <laughs> um, here in reality, you've got other things going. You're going to take several days to try and recover from something like that. Right. So, like you said, we generally try and avoid... Uh, having any of our clients hit back-to-back speed days or speed followed by a long run or long run followed by a speed day. Right. And also in that category is an evening run followed by a morning run. Oh, that's the sneakiest. Right. And and this can be a really good thing. Like An evening run followed by a morning run, that can be a great way to something really good that you can incorporate in your training because just like you said, then you're running on tired legs and there's a lot of benefits of running on tired legs and forcing your body to adapt to that but you need to take that into consideration when looking at your training load. Yeah, I mean... It... And there's some weeks that that's a really bad idea. Like if you have the stress and the lack of sleep, like don't <laughs> try to fit in. Oh, well, shoot, I should sleep in. They Okay, so Angie and Kevin told me that I should sleep in because I didn't get enough sleep. So I'm going to move my run to the evening. Yes. Today. But, and then I'm going to go to sleep, and then I'll get my normal sleep, and then I can wake up at 5 and do my morning run. Like, eh. Yeah, you push, <laughs> if you're pushing workouts within 12 hours of each other, that's the same as getting up in the morning, going for a run, having your day, and then going for a run that evening. It's a two-a-day. It's a double. Yeah. You're just doing it with actual sleep in a bed in between mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it the other way, there's not a lot of people that would be like, oh, yeah, no, I would totally go for a run that morning and then another run that evening. Yeah. Having a double day, I mean, it's been a long time since I've done two-a-days, mm-hmm. but I have definitely done the evening run followed by an early morning run, and that is just as hard. Yeah, for sure. All right, this next one I think you like because this was one of your big issues with my training. Well, yeah, it is. It's putting strength days onto recovery days. Right. It's. It may or may not keep that as an actual recovery day. Right, because the th- here's the thing. So a lot of the coaches out there and a lot of the experts in the running world will tell you hard day is hard, easy day is easy. That means that you should hit your running speed workout and then do your strength training after that. Obviously. But here in the real world, when Where you, you don't have four hours for your workout? Right, like you're not a collegiate athlete or you're not a professional athlete that can devote four hours to training every day. Like you've got an hour if you're lucky, probably. Like you have an hour, maybe you have 45 minutes. That's time for your run or your strength workout. Yes. And both are super important. And everyone that listens to us or has gone through one of our programs knows how important we feel strength training is. Super duper important. But there, this is the question mark of where do you put this, the strength days? Because it is important for you to get recovery, but strength training is also super important. It, it depends on what the strength training is. And this is kind of where where we've discussed, I mean, n- not now, not, not directly in this podcast, but for a while, uh, it depends on what kind of strength it is. How mm-hmm. intense is that strength? How familiar are you with that strength? Right. Is it is it like a, a standard a weightlifting thing? Is it a maintenance thing? Yeah. Is, it, is it a pounding plyometric kind of strength workout? Because mm-hmm. that is a different wear and tear on totally your body. Totally different. So it, it really matters on what the strength training is and how how much of a, a new thing that is for your running. Mm-hmm. It goes back into the same category of adding speed into your running. Mm-hmm. If you've never done speed, you've got to be very gentle with adding in speed. Yeah. Don't go from, I've never done any speed to suddenly 20% of my running is speed. Right. That's a bad choice. Don't go from, I've never done strength training to all of my easy days will now have strength training on it. Mm-hmm. And some strength training on easy days are good. Like some, if you throw in some planks and some side planks, on your off day or your recovery day, it's not going to tax you that bad. It's no, not, you know, not at all. Those are all those are all good things to to throw in some core work on on your easy days. No, core work every day. Yeah, core core work every day. So, but the thing is, you just have to keep in mind where all that fits into your overall training load. So maybe instead of 
having two speed workouts a week. If you're if you're new to strength training, if you haven't done a lot of it before, or if you're deciding to really up the level of strength training that you're doing, think about maybe substituting one of your hard speed days with a hard strength training day. So instead of doing speed work and then strength training the next day and then another speed work, maybe you substitute a hard strength day for one of your speed work days. And just for that week or for those couple of weeks, you only have one speed work per week. That, that you can get a lot of, of benefits out of one very good speed work and one very good like full body strength workout. For sure. Like you're getting huge benefits out I mean, of that. that's how my body likes to adapt to things a lot more. Like strength training for me is super duper important. I mean, I think that it is for a lot of people, but the way that my body type is and how I hold on to muscle, strength training is super important for me to make strength, not only strength gains, but just to avoid that those little nagging aches and pains that that can come along with my my training plan, my running. Yes, very much so. Yeah. All right, so let's just review real quick and summarize all this. And for the the summary of all of this information, please check out our show notes over on the website at realliferunnerspodcast.com. This is episode number 70. We're going to have all these show notes in there for you, and you can also find links to lots of other stuff on the website, including the different coaching programs that we offer, including some of the strength training resources like the bands and the protein powders that we like to use and some of the cookbooks that we like to use to give yourself some really good new recipes of fueling your body with that real food that we're talking about. You can find links to all that stuff um, and just purchase it over through the website as well. Well, it's not, I mean, you're you're not buying that from us, but we're we're not writing the cookbooks, but we got a link. There's easy links so that you can find that stuff without having to go and search for it. So anyway, check out the website for those show notes, realliferunners.com. All right, let's summarize, Kev. All right, so... Make sure that you're not overtrained. Check some key signs. Are you getting frustrated and you can't concentrate at work all day long? You might be overtrained. Right. You're I getting su- sick a lot. Daily resting heart rate is high. Check your daily resting heart rate. I really think that that's one of the big takeaways out of this thing is mm-hmm. if you really want to monitor your training, you should be checking your daily resting heart rate. I, I think that that's more important than monitoring your weekly mileage increase. Really? Yes. Wow. Totally do. Okay. You're just throwing it out there. Yeah, I am. All right. So tips on how to avoid overtraining. Number one, listen to your body. Two, sleep. Sleep. Get more sleep. <laughs> Number three, eat real food. Food that actually nourishes your body and that's going to give you the vitamins and the minerals and everything that your body needs to recover from all the training that you're doing. Point four, keep track of the stresses in your life beyond just running. Mm -hmm. Things going on at work, things going on in your actual life, food, with your family and stuff. Right. And finally, keep track of your training load and take into consideration all those other things that we've talked about as part of your training load. Make sure you're not increasing your speed, your mileage, everything too much too soon. Yeah. Don't do everything simultaneously. You right. got, you got a time. It's a long relationship with running. Yes. So if you do all these things, then hopefully you will have a very long and loving relationship with running. And a successful, <laughs> successful year. A successful year that you can avoid overtraining and you can go out there and crush some of the goals that you've set for yourself this year. So I think that about sums it that up. Does it? This is how to avoid being burnt out by February. Right. Don't, don't let yourself get burned out. Just realize that running is this longer journey and and be okay with that and just enjoy where you are on that journey as you strive to get better perfect all right guys so thank you so much for joining us today check out the show notes on the website realliferunners.com and we will talk to you next week